I spent my life protecting my son. I spent my life protecting my family. Let's be reasonable, okay? That's your big thing, isn't it, Michael? Reason? Backed up by murder? You. I did what I could, Kay, to protect all of you from the horrors of this world. But you became my horror. Do you expect me to talk? to episode 114 of Do You Expect Us Talk? I'm your host Becca and as always joined by the incredibly diverse people such as Chris and Dave. How are you? I'm just <laughs> thinking, how do we represent diverse? We're both <laughs> white males. White males. <laughs> well Dave you're in one age bracket and Chris you're in another age bracket. Can we claim height? I mean I don't know how tall Dave is. What's that in geographical you're location? Not, you're not very tall are you Chris? Uh, about 5'7". Yeah, now I'm six foot, I'm a bit taller than you. Oh. That's so, yes, yeah, there you are, they're, they're diverse in height and age, there we One's are. One's up north and the other's down south. Exactly, what more can you want? Too <laughs> 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 so many decided. jokes that I won't go with. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to say it that. Um, right. Anyway, anyway. Do a heavy heart that we reach the end of the Corleone saga this evening. We're finally getting around to reviewing the wonderful film that is The Godfather Part 3, starring Al Pacino, or some fake names that we came up with earlier. No, um, I did the real names. Yeah, I did the real I'm names. I'm sure they're bulletproof, we've not killed off anyone. The, fa- the fake ones are quite <laughs> hilarious. Um, yeah, Al Pacino, Bridget Fonda, Joe Montana, I can't pronounce his name, Brian Keating, Monty Garcia, Tanya Shire, Eli Wallach, Sophie Coppola, and George Hamilton. George Hamilton? Hamilton? <laughs> yeah, that's how <laughs> you pronounce his name. There's a question mark on it properly. It's like Mulan. <laughs> it's like he hasn't been in any two films, and all of a sudden he's a crucial character. He's like, why? He's like, really? George Hamilton? I was, really, I was most surprised you went with Bridget Fonda's second billing. <laughs> well, what I've done is I've tried to do like my Sorry, Al Pacino and Bridget Fonda. They <laughs> served the crackers. Talia <laughs> Shire. And then Andy Garcia. Yeah. But I kind of went... I like to try and do a bit of like gender equality, but I've done like man, woman, man, woman, man, woman. But rather than just reading that, Again, I, I would have gone. Ta- I would have gone Diane Keaton or Talia Shire over Bridget Fonda. Well, I know, but <laughs> I just pick names at random, you know. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, rather than reading off IMDb.com. Obviously, yep, written by Mario Hughes and Francis Ford Coppola, and directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and released in 1990. Massive gap between episode two and part two and part three. I got what time of year that this came out completely wrong. I got confused with a few other films from this year. came out Christmas Day. 
on the oh, release. Really? Yeah, it did. I in the States? It was early re- yeah, I always thought it was early. Is it actually 1991? I always thought it came out around March, but maybe maybe we got it sort of March 91 or something. I don't know. I don't probably, know. probably, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, the release dates were a little bit um, late, later, generally. March 1991, we got it. I'm just looking now. So I was right, but I was actually a year out. I thought it came out somewhere around the same time as Rocky Five. A double, a double sort of whammy of quality there for Tara Shire. But uh, no, I'm going to look up. I've got to look up Rocky Five's release date now because I'm like, we got that 25th of January 1991. I've lost a year of my life somewhere. Oh no! What happened to 1990? Uh, have, have, you, have you looked down on the sofa? It might be there. Oh, uh, look. <laughs> Fuck, it is as well. <laughs> it's got a pair of Chris <laughs> jeans down here as well. Using a decade down the back of the sofa. I'm totally well, yeah. I'm totally crossed out now. Oh, that's so funny. Losing 1990. That's it. Yeah, you're crisscrossed out. Yeah. Oh, snort. So funny. So anyway, what... <laughs> how, how can we approach this... Rather interesting film and ends to like one of the greatest sagas within popular culture. Well, I didn't realise it was this film that had the quote of just when they thought I was out, they pull me back in. Oh, I didn't actually realise it was this film that was off. I assumed oh. it would be like one the of the first two. Or something. Yeah, I, would, I assumed it would be in one, in one of the first two because it's no, such I, a. I could always picture where in this film it was. It was him in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. Just it was in a, in, in a lovely cardigan. It's an interesting contrast as well, compared to, say, for example, um, like Godfather Part 2, when he does assume assume the role, um, as compared to, obviously, this one where he's like he's in the kitchen, so he's like family setting, obviously, Grandad, um, Grandad Cardi, and it's completely kind of, you know, he's still trying to, you know, retain that um, air of, you know, quite, you know, respect, but also, oh, I'm trying to retire, you know, but it's not going so well, so. I think this, um, when, when you look at the making of this film, um, it's not a film Coppola ever wanted to make. Now, he expressed concerns about making the second one, but that was more about his experiences on the first. I think by the time we get to this one, it, it's just it's a couple of decades before. He's not bothered about repeating himself and going back to this family and all the rest of it. But he'd lost a lot of money, poured a lot of his own money into films, particularly one called One from the Heart from the early 80s. Coppola lost a, a lot of money on a lot of occasions, but that one particularly... And it, it's that sort of thing that does lead us to things like when Peggy, uh, Peggy Sue got married, uh, later on things like Jack, which we laughed at a couple of weeks ago, but he became a director for hire because he had no money. Um, that said, he's got a bit more quality control with The Godfather because I think because a lot of his greatest successes come from it and he had members of his own family in it and so on, I think he always as he says on the special features, minds the emotional subject matter of that family. Um, so I think he would have always done his best to do it properly. But um, Frank Mancuso, who was the head of Paramount at one time, said on the on the special features that Francis never Coppola, for Coppola never said no to me, he said. But he certainly wasn't saying yes either for a couple of years. They tried various versions of scripts from right back in the, the late 70s. There, there, there was a script knocking around with kind of a version of the Vincent character but not exactly the same and a very different story um, but this was just something that he sort of percolated on until eventually 
he was brought in and, and what you've got is a, a director who's got nowhere near the same power as he did the first time round or the second time round to be more precise when he did the second one he was able to say I don't want any of the producers on the set I, I want to that was it that was the story I got slightly wrong last year uh, last week sorry he wanted to call it The Godfather Part 2 and the studio didn't they thought Part 2 was a bit of a sort of you know lame sequel title you know just calling something 2 we're used to that all the time now but it wasn't so common then by the time we get to this film, he wanted to call it the death of Michael Corleone, um, and they they wouldn't allow it. They wouldn't allow it, and he didn't. Spoilers. Wait a minute. Well, it could be a figurative death. Yeah. It is. It isn't. Um, <laughs> but he he didn't have the clout by then, so the the studio insisted on the Godfather Part Three. Um, once again, he scripted it out with Mario Puzo. Uh, once again, he got most people on board. I'll talk about one casting thing before we get into the film. Two casting things, actually. But one was a bit of an argument. Um, but, I, I, yeah, and this is what we got. And I, I think I'll go in, I'll wait till sort of first thoughts to say how I think it affects the film. In terms of casting, well, everyone signed up with two, ex well, I say two exceptions, one exception, that exception being Robert Duval. Now, on the special features, Coppola claims or says, but it's a throwaway remark, so I don't think you should take it literally to its word. He said he wanted as much money as uh, Al Pacino. A few years ago, he appeared on Inside the Actor's Studio, Robert Duval, and he, he actually said um, he would have been perfectly happy with Al Pacino earning twice as much as him. He said, but it was getting to the point that it was like four to three or four times as much. The, the, he found the amount of money they were offering insulting. And I think, given he, he saw the end result and presumably wasn't that impressed with it, he said he doesn't have any regrets, he wasn't in it. The other big casting issue we've got is Sophia Coppola, who is now most regarded as a film director, Francis Ford Coppola's daughter at the age of 19, or certainly 19 on release, was in this film. Playing, uh, playing the daughter Mary. Uh, this film is a mixture of uh, awards, Oscar nominations, and r two Razzies for her. Uh, my thoughts on the Razzies, we've expounded on it on previous occasions. It's not the greatest performance, but it was a last minute thing. Now, people know half of this story. They know that Winona Ryder pulled out uh, sick a, a day or two before filming was due to start. Winona Ryder was in, a, in herself a replacement for Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts had been cast, uh, but had to drop out due, due to a scheduling conflict. The bit that always makes me laugh, though, is Madonna lobbied hard to play this role. Oh, my Mad God. 32-year-old Madonna. This woman has no fucking self-awareness whatsoever. Just, like, put me in the role. I can't act. I'm completely wrong for it, and I'm uh, over a decade too old. But put me in it. Uh, yeah, and, uh, I'm just shooting Dick Tracy. That'll be huge. Put me in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then fast forward to 2002, Dying of a Day. Oh, my God. Yeah, but like I said, when we reviewed that film, if, it, if, it, if she'd not been the name actress Madonna and did that exact same cameo, no one would have had any problems with it. Oh, exactly. Um, I, she's, she's, she's not a good actress, but it's that lack of self-awareness. I'll grace your, I'll grace your, your little series with a cameo. What the Bond series that's been around longer than you. But anyway, um, so we ended up with Sophia Coppola, and we ended up with George Hamilton in a sort of rewritten role to take that sort of consulary role. Although by then he's the chief family lawyer. Um, 
other other notable castings, obviously Andy Garcia, who's actually of a Cuban background, not Italian, but um, he was cast as Vincent Mancini, and we will get into who that character is when we get into the film, and a load of people we have seen before, um, but some good some good new castings, Joe Mantegna in a role that doesn't actually last that long into the film, um, nice to see Eli Wallach getting quite old by then. Um, but, he's yeah. quite good in this actually I, I like Eli Wallach he's like the older like statesman I, I, you might have remembered him from all the westerns from all the westerns <laughs> he was ever in yeah so that's a little bit on background there's not a, you know, not a massive amount to say in terms of you know pre-production other than Coppola was in financial difficulties and he thought he told the story and, and on the on the um, commentary he talks of this as an epilogue it's it's a two part series with this as an epilogue, and like I say, I'll get into original. I'll get into my first thoughts before I explain what whether what I think that has as an effect. But um, what about you, you, you guys? Have you seen this before? I I can't imagine Julie Roberts being in this film. I just I find that a bit of an odd casting. Uh, I can't really see it either, to be honest with you. But then you you tend to go through what's there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I'm always imagining Sofia Coppola, but like a better actress. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine Rona Ryder, definitely. Well, we know the uh, Ryder's dark colouring, isn't she? Yeah. So she um, probably gets the, the look of her. Could probably get away with it. But yeah, I, I understand obviously Sofia Coppola with obviously the family collection. Um, I mean, I I can't act, but I, I think I admire her more as a director, shall we say? Yeah, but the fact that we can't act, I mean, if, if, you li- if, you, if you limited our ability to comment on the things we can do, <laughs> I might just get away doing a podcast about project management, possibly. And I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not even that good at that. So, so um, no, I mean, we're, we're quite welcome to comment. I mean, the fact is, um, Sofia Coppola has taken an excessive amount of shit for how she is in this film. Um, she's not very good. She isn't. There's no hiding away from it. There's a she tries her best. Um, trying is is well neither here nor there really. Every, everyone tries, but the fact is she's not in the film that much. No, she's, she's, she's very not, kind she's of not that ruinous to anything. She's a very young adult anyway, so you can get away with that slight valley girl sort of uh, the way she comes off. There's one scene where she bothers me in this one scene, and even then she's meant to be playing slightly petulant anyway, so it's not in that scene. So it's not the biggest of big deals. I, I didn't have. She's not good casting, and as soon as you put her next to even decent actors, you can see. You know, I, I just feel like if you went to see her in some like amateur production on stage somewhere, she'd probably seem really good. But she's she's playing off Oscar-winning actors and actresses here, and so sure. her lack of screen presence really shows. She, she does give Andy Garcia like the most lustful looks <laughs> like I've seen, you know. It's so I'm not quite sure. It, I'm not sure uh, that's good acting, or she just generally really wants to fuck Andy Garcia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Dad, can we take five minutes? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, she 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 is in, she is up against uh, a lot of very strong a- actors and actresses, but the fact is they're all in their like forties, fifties, and sixties, and she's like nineteen. Well, if you've ever been to any kind of family do. Where I don't know, you go to a wedding where it's somebody's second or third marriage, and they have like their young adult son as a best man. You know, they they have their seventeen-year-old son as the best man. Well, he'll get up and give a halting, awkward, not very funny speech. 
because he's 17. So when she gets up to like talk and she's not wildly fluent, I just think what's to be expected, she's a kid. So I don't have the biggest of big problems with her. But the film more generally, had you much time with this before? Or had you seen it? Did you like it? Uh, I've seen it once before, uh, properly, and then I've never revisited it again. Much like the rest of the Godfather series. I mean, I've already watched uh, the whole series uh, back to back in a, in a series of a few days. So I've also had the DVD collection, so uh, I just stopped and we watched it for this series. Um, yeah, I had a good view of this, surprisingly. Um, it, it's not it's not better than the other two films. Um, it's compromised by the fact that it existence really doesn't really need to to exist. Um, quite frankly, um, there's some of the casting is 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 telling, uh, and it is should we say more uh, what what's the, what's the word. Generic, it you know the, the the actual film itself isn't anything that special, but it looks nice. Uh, I had a good time revisiting the characters, and I think it was mostly down to the fact that I mean to watch the the previous two films, there was a, also there was a little bit of investment in the characters or something. There was they had the back history, and it was a, the film was to me mostly about re- reflecting on that history and and sort of. It was just nice to watch, you know. I had a reasonably good time with it. My experience is probably the same as yours, Chris. I sort of watched it maybe like a decade ago, and then obviously watched it again for this podcast. Um, haven't seen it since. But yeah, no, it's kind of, it's, yeah, it does seem a little bit like extraneous. Um, they could have probably stopped at part two, but no, they had to revive it again in 1990. I think it got up to the point, I feel a bit bad, it kind of didn't really help my attention up until the point where you've got like all the hoods in the room um, and there's kind of like a helicopter shootout, as it were, um, a hit, hit from above. It does um, have some good set piece, I thought. Uh, it has a good sort of, okay, that's that's a good bit set of visuals. Um, oh yeah, no, it's, it, still, it still looks good, like the, the look of it, like visually, um, how else is it going to look? Um, like in terms of the colours, um, one thing stood out to me, like for example, is even though it's set like 1979, it could have been set 1990 in terms of like the costumes and the hair and everything. I found that a little bit kind of, I don't know. He's, he's, he has essentially shot it to look present day to the time it was made. Yeah, rather than 1979. With but, a couple uh, of exceptions, there's a couple of people at the party. I mean, Vincent's um, leather jacket at that party is not the leather jackets you were wearing in 1990, so that's... that's a no, that kind of places it a little bit possibly, well. possibly Kay looks very late 70s as well, but the rest of them were wearing double-breasted suits, which were really in vogue around 1990. Mm. And the hairstyles, that, that sort of... Even Michael's, the way it's sweeped back is very 1990 as well. Certainly in terms of some of the, the interior decoration as well, for like the kitchen, um, and also like the the, business, like the boardroom where they have the meeting of all the... I was going to say all the hoods. Of all the... Um, all the hoods. <laughs> Before they gun down from above, um, but yeah, I think it kind of gripped my attention from that from that point onwards. Really, um, yeah, the stuff with like the um, I can't it, immobiliary, I think that does kind of go on a little bit. I appreciate it's quite important, obviously, because they're dealing with directly from you know the Pope. Um, but again, it just kind of goes on and on. It's like, oh, are you done yet? Um, but it's quite I'm interesting re- to you know. I really liked how how they handled the. Uh the opera stuff at the end, you know, because usually what with the 
but the last two films they they always end with like a like a montage of assassinations as like the colonies the clean house kind of thing uh, and they kind of did that, but they also mirrored with actual stuff happening. So there was like, there was like an added tension, and there was like there was something more to it, which I I really kind of enjoyed that. Um, so that that was one thing I, I thought they actually did a good job with. I thought. Really mm, no, like I agree as well. Really felt like a Godfather film at that point as well. Kind of yeah, it really yeah. brought it all home, didn't it? Definitely. I mean, for um, me, I, I it's. I, I wouldn't say I always watch it when I watch the Godfather films. I do sometimes stop it too, but I don't watch them that often anyway. So, for argument's sake, if I if I watch it every other time I watch the Godfather films, then I probably haven't seen it for about twelve years. So I don't watch it very often. I've never had any great problems with it. I think I'm, I'm naturally inclined to defend it a little bit, just because. And I've said this before on a podcast when we referred to this. But it's the best example I can think of, and it's the same year as well, that it gets talked about like it's a Highlander 2 level abomin- abomination. Like Highlander 2 came out in 1990, four years after a really liked original, and retconned everything, made absolutely no sense as well, looked terrible, was acted awful, and just was just everyone left like scratching their head like, what the fuck was that? Um... It made no sense. It, it, it could have come from a different series entirely. And so Highlander 2 is frequently talked about as one of the most embarrassing, piss-poor sequels of all time. Um, and it's talked about like it's that level of of abomination. I've, I've heard jokes about it on, like, going back, I think it was the Mel Gibson episode of The Simpsons, which in, in itself is about 18 years ago. But, you know, oh, God. They, they, said they were making um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington or something, and I'm sure That's there's a line where they say something like, this is as bad as The Godfather Part 3, and Mel's like, don't let's, Christ, let's not say things we can't take back. <laughs> and I, I've just never understood that. It, it's going to struggle years after two masterpieces with a guy who isn't the same filmmaker anymore. The film doesn't have the same reason for being but it's a solidly made, largely solidly active film. It looks like a Godfather film. It kind of feels like a Godfather film. Um, it's just, it's just uh, damned by being a bit mediocre, which is, it's the worst series to be mediocre in. It's a bit like a Toy Story comes back and it's not very good. You know, there, um, are, cer- there are certain things where they've all, they've always produced, like generally thought to produce quality. How successful was it? Just out of interest. Took 136 million. That's a figure that just stuck in my head. Uh, that was off a budget of about 50, something like that. So it's it, solidly enough, solidly enough. Because um, I was thinking, like, if this wasn't, let's just say, they just did like, uh, like a, a gangster film. Well, it wasn't like Godfather, wasn't the Colonies, but it was basically the same film, but just different set of characters, right? It, it would probably be like before thought more fondly. It probably be like, oh, this is like. Game. I'm actually this typing because I'm looking up what Dick Tracy did the same year, which is a bad example because it's a. Um, that was also Al Pacino as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But she was nominated for a supporting. Well, Dick, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy is a name franchise. Well, not a franchise, but it's a name. Dick Tracy. Yeah. Um, that took 162 million. Looking at it, so not wildly in a different. Um, that's funny, the cinematographer for that was Vittorio Storaro. He he worked with Coppola on um, Apocalypse Now, which is a gorgeous film. But yeah, um, it, it did very well. I mean, it, it, 
they're not even at the point where it's grossing the same as the first one, but then the second one didn't either. I mean, just just some opening thoughts then from me. Um, I think the biggest problem is this film has no reason for being. So you've got to think of something. And if they start in 1979, Michael's already 60. So how many years can you cover when he's already getting older? So I think the thing that really sticks out to me with this film is twofold. So two things stick out to me. Firstly, the, the time frame of the film is so short. If you forget the sort of epilogue scene, which is obviously, well, not obviously, but I'm telling you, it's 18 years afterwards. Um, that's not on screen anywhere, but I know that from the box set that the, the saga goes to 1997. So, um, but at the start of the film, he's writing to his kids, and you can see the letter, and he's handwritten a date of February. Well, the end of the film takes place in the spring. We don't know when in the spring, but we're told Anthony makes his opera debut, and I got that I misremembered that entirely, and we'll get to that when we get into the film, um, in the spring in Sicily. So there's nothing that makes me think that isn't the same year. So I think the film probably covers about three months. Um particularly with things like popes dying they're a year out on that the two popes are dying they've got the names of the popes right but not the names of the, the people that became that pope right if you like so pope john paul the first uh the character in this i'm looking for his name now is cardinal lamberto well cardinal lamberto the, the pope john paul the first um the 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 the, the cardinal that was made that pope wasn't called Lamberto, he was called Luciani. So they've made different things, but all of those things happened in 1978, so they've, they've, they've deliberately sort of... But it's around the same era, so when, I think the point I'm making is we're not covering several years either way, we're covering a few months. So it doesn't have the same epic sweep. sweep. And I think also the 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 plot just feels a bit perfunctory as well. The Immobilari stuff is by far the least, least interesting stuff to me. And I'm sure there are thematic things, you know, in that it's you know reaching for legitimacy and, and all of the rest of it. But I never find any of it that interesting. The interest in this film is a weakening Michael trying to... Um, and literally weakening, because we find out through the film he's got diabetes and it's getting worse. And he's trying to make amends to his family and he's trying to find some kind of redemption with Kay and he's trying to school Vincent in, in understanding what the life involves and what the price you pay for it um, making it actually that the, the price of giving up his, Michael's daughter is, is actually fairly small fry when you think what Michael gave up to, to be, to, for this life spiritually, emotionally and everything else all of those things are very interesting um, the only thing I would debate, and I could be saying the exact opposite when we get to The Last Jedi, so I've got to be a bit careful here, is I sometimes wonder if Michael is too different from where he was in part two, as we start this film. But then having said that, I've defended Luke being so diff different in The Last Jedi. Yeah. We'll, talk, we'll talk about that in three or four weeks. Slightly different, because there's external circumstances there, and also it's 30 years. Whereas I, I here think, we're talking about 12, 13 years. 
I think partly that is may, maybe down to way the way Pacino acts, not his actual performance, but the way you know he's I, as as we commented, he go he's he's very much more you know scent of a woman type, you know. Hoo-ha! Yeah, yeah but, a bit he's, more... he's all, but he's he's much more. There's a slight happy go luckiness to him here, and I know he has his moments because he goes and has he goes and gives confession, but. You see him at that opening party where he's making jokes about going off to listen listen to Tony Bennett records. The Michael of Part Two wouldn't have said anything like that. I if, think, yeah, he lost I, any sense of humour at all. There's, yeah, there, there but, is a sense of time getting a little bit more comfortable, but there is a difference in him. But that could be pride in like, his children. That could have been anything. And also, we don't know what's happened in the interim because yeah. at the end at the end of Part Two, he's got his kids and he's forced Kay out the door. We find out in this film they were brought up and educated with Kay. So at some point, he saw sense and gave them to their mother. Um, when I say sense, I mean sense in this particular scenario, not the kids should necessarily always be, never be with their fathers, but in this case that made sense. So we can talk about that as we go through it. Certainly some, some of the complaints I've read about this film is Michael's not even the same character. And I sit on the fence on it. I note it. I see people's point, I'm not sure, because you're not the same person at 60 as maybe you were in your 40s, um, and he's gone through a lot, and he's got two grown-up children now, and I know very early in the film he changes path, but he's clearly very proud of his youngest daughter, but his, his son is at law school when the film starts, and he's very proud of him, and you know, and he's moved out of Nevada, and p- perhaps all of that—that that was sort of eaten away at his soul as well. So there's all sorts of different ways you can read it. But yeah, just just to finish off my my opening thoughts, I think this is pretty solid stuff. I don't think it's a great film. I think it's kind of mediocre actually, but I can't help but defend it when it's painted like it's it's Highlander two. It it just uh. it isn't in the it isn't in the same l- league of heinous crime. This this suffers because it follows two masterpieces. It also suffers for the same reason something like Jason Bourne suffers, in that they made three Bourne films in about five years, and they were all really good. How well they've dated and what we think of them, we'll get to them one day, I'm sure. Um, But when they come back nine years later, you think, and, and they frequently said they weren't interested in coming back. You know, Greengrass always said, I don't want to make another one. And basically, Matt Damon just used to say, ask Paul Greengrass, i.e. I'll come back if he does. Yeah. A bit like Bale with uh, Nolan. You know, whenever he... Nolan always said, I don't want to do another Batman film. When they asked Bale the same question, it'd be, well, if Nolan. Yeah. Um, but they come back after nine years with Jason Bourne. And you tend to think, well, Jason Bourne's the weakest of those four, forgetting the Bourne legacy for a minute. But had it come out in 2010 just enough of a period of time on that his life has changed a bit, but within the same sort of release window as a sequel normally is, i.e. about three years. I don't think it would have been slaughtered as hard. I think it just would have been, yeah, a bit of a step down, but not bad. Um, Because it was nine years, you think, oh, they must have a cracking idea to be coming back now, particularly when they said they don't want to. This film suffers from that. Oh, you're revisiting The Godfather. You, You must have a story to tell. And it turns out he doesn't. He has a little bit of a muse on on ageing and family relationships, which has always been the most interesting stuff to this to me. And it's interesting here too. It uh, it builds uh, up um, it builds up like a well. There's a weight of expectation. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Gap. 
Um, but it's it's solid. I think I'll stop there because I'm going on a bit. It, it this is solid enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of similar. I've always feel uh, whenever a film gets either overly praised or or or, or, or overly criticised, I do have the gut reaction to defend. Or I'll pick on this in the detail, yeah. but but the trouble is, I'm aware I'm going to do that. So at the outset, I want it on record. This isn't that bad. And on the record, Highlander 2 really is. <laughs> uh, Highlander 2 is a fucking mess. It's a, it's, so, it is well, a actually, real head-scratcher. It, 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 it is a really bad film, but it's one of those really bad films that I kind of enjoy. It can be only one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they were still saying that in part five, you know. <laughs> um, I think I've only ever seen the first one. The first one, and the first one's quite dated and hence a little bit overpraised. But it's a wonderful idea, and, and I kind of like it. And as, as, as much as it's not good, Highlander 3 plays like a sequel to the first one. So Highlander 3 is like an inferior version of the same thing, but it's actually not that bad. Highlander 2 is it kind just... Of, it kind of politely ignores the second one, because it kind of like, yeah, we're picking up back in present day now. So Highlander 2 is a total head-scratcher. You know, if you want us to cover it, folks, send us some money. <laughs> <laughs> I would never rule it out, but I think that'd be quite a miserable experience trying to review review it. But the, yeah, this film is is nowhere near as bad by comparison, and um, it doesn't deserve the hatred it gets. It's a Godfather film through the prism of being a bit mediocre. So, shall we discuss this film in a sequential fashion? Yeah, go on then. I quite like the fact we start with the Nevada uh, compound flooding and in disrepair. That, that, as a visual cue, tells you everything you need to know. A, yeah, it looks very sad, isn't it? It's all kind of been like, abandoned. It's, and it, it, you know, it's the last days of Rome, isn't it? It's all, it is, it's literally all, crumbling. Yeah, it's all it's being reclaimed by the lake, and it's just... Reclaimed yeah. by nature. But he's, it, we cut straight to um, narration quite quickly. He's narrating a letter to his kids. You see him handwriting. And it, it's a little bit... It's a bit TV show as a narrative device but it was he, he's just basically telling his kids how good it is he's moved back to New York all those years ago isn't it a, as narration goes that's brilliant isn't it isn't it amazing how I moved back to New York <laughs> um, and he's happier in the, uh, let me tell you the time of my life story which you already know about <laughs> the audience remember when you told me about your mother and the sand people <laughs> oh yeah, it's that level of uh, thing, but it's kind of welcome. Uh, he's gone back to New York. He's living in like an apartment there, basically, albeit a very luxurious one. It looks very, very cushy, doesn't it? It is luxurious. Well, you know, with the sort of money he throws around in this, that he's it's very, very penthouse, rich. penthouse suite. Yeah, he's just. But you see the one he's going in, and funnily enough, it's shot by Gordon Willis, but it's shot on like whatever film stock they were using in 1990, and it looks like a Woody Allen film, visually. It's, it's, it's still, still looks like a yeah, I mean, Woody Allen films, like, kind of look nice, but if you go and watch something like Hannah and Her Sisters and, you know, Husbands and Wives and stuff like that, there's a similar quality to the film. But, um, yeah, he's uh, he's about to be... Um, what is it? It's some kind of Catholic honour, isn't it? Because he's he's, he's being bestowed, is it, the uh, Italian-American of the Year sort of thing? Well, he's commendatore, commendatore thereafter. Yeah. It's some sort of papal order. It's basically blessed by the Pope. Yeah. So it's kind of absolved 
of all his previous sins, kind of ish. But obviously, he has well, it's not coming. confession. It's not no. confession. That that must be clear because he goes through that later. Yeah, he he does actually have. So he's not absolved of, of anything. It's just. Hey, you're a great guy for all that just, money you've given us. Just the Pope recognising him, yeah. Thank you for your donation. Here's yeah. a very big medal. And then he's back to his place for, like, a big party and cake and all that kind of shit. And Joe, Johnny Fontaine. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Who has actually sort of turned into Tony Bennett. The way he's walking <laughs> you know, around I, with that. I completely forgot it was Johnny Fontaine, and then I was like, oh, no, or is it Tony Bennett? Mm. <laughs> well... It's funny, whenever you see, like, um, Alec Baldwin doing, like, the Jeopardy piss take of it. Eric Peregrine. Tony Ben. The way he holds the microphone, Johnny Fontaine holds it like that as well. It's kind of cool. I kind of liked it anyway. Yeah. It's a nice little callback. Well, this is basically, like, while all the films start off, you got an extended party scene introducing everyone. And this is extended a bit longer as well, because it goes to 35, 40 minutes. Typically, they're under the half hour. Yeah. For that opening bit. So, the first sign, it's a bit thinner, but at the same time, whilst it's not as masterful as the first one, we do get a lot of information in this party, don't we? Yeah. I mean, to be fair, we have got quite a few new characters seen, as most of them have been killed off. So, we've pointed out... Yeah, they brought in young blood like Eli Wallach. <laughs> <laughs> no, we got we got Andy Garcia, who's... And then also you got to introduce uh, Joey Salza. And then that what's going on with, between them. And essentially, you've got a lot of catching up to do. So you kind of like find out where everyone is. You've got to find, find out uh, about Anthony, what he wants. He wants to become a singer. He wants to leave law school. I, I uh, just remembered all of that because when, when 2 started with Anthony going through communion, I remembered him training as a priest in this film. I completely yeah. misremembered. I got confused with Tom Hagen's son. Yeah. Um, and I hadn't seen it for a few years. As soon as I started watching this, I was thinking, Anthony's profession is the whole set piece at the end of the film. Mm. It, like, it was immediately, not only did I remember, but I felt stupid for misremembering. But I think it was because of Tom Hagen's boy. Tom's dead. Uh, we see his boy later, but we'll get to that. But what do we learn, what do we learn at this? We learn um, Kay visits, but she only does it for her kids. She's remarried. She tells she Michael... She tells Michael she dreads him. I hate that dialogue. I've put it on the front of this episode. But where, where she says, but you became my horror and stuff. It, it it would read well in a book. It doesn't work on the screen as dialogue, that. I would have thought you would have gone for um, just one of four hours out. Pull me back in. Yeah, we got that a bit later on. But um, So we find out uh, Anthony wants, to, wants no part of the family business. Mm. Uh, Mary's closer in that she's like honorary chairperson of the mm. fucking Corleone Foundation and presents all the checks and stuff. I mean, uh, to, be, to be fair with Anthony, I mean, when, I, when, when he first comes in saying, you know, I, I want to leave law school, uh, I want to become a singer. I was, at first, I was, I was kind of on side with Michael thinking, yeah, but isn't it wise just to finish doing your law stuff? And then, how, how far through it are you? Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? And it's you like, want to be an opera singer, not a pop star. It's not like trends are going to change well, and you'll get yeah, too old it, if you it, wait it, four it's, years. It's just, it's just the fact that you just said, I want to be a singer. It's like, okay, isn't it wise to have a backup plan? I mean, you know, it's, it seems pretty sound that if this singer stuff doesn't fall, doesn't quite work out, you've got quite a, you've got something quite reasonable to start off with. Like, forget the family business and shit, you can still go off and make a, a good career with yourself. 
Um, so it's kind of a bit more Michael's side with that, but then he kind of justifies that, yeah, he's actually really, really good, <laughs> generally. But uh, just... Well, yeah, he's, he's playing at, like, one of the top opera houses in the world, so yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's yeah. going to be pretty good. I'm looking him up. The only thing I thought when I was watching it was, how old is he meant to be? Because in 1958, he's, what, at least 10? Maybe a bit less, I don't know. So I'm thinking he's got to be very late 20s, and I'm looking the actor up now. And he was 28 when this was released. A little bit older than I'd have expected. But he is an American singer and he's best known for Phantom of the Opera. Oh, really? Hmm, looking Didn't know that. He's played Sweeney Todd on Broadway. Wow. Uh, he, uh, he's he was best Johnny Depp voice. Yeah. <laughs> Demon in Bob. London. In the worst thing, one of the worst, I was about to say the worst thing about Johnny Depp, but it's not, is it, folks? <laughs> um, is the fact that he thinks he can do an English accent. Oh, God. Uh, They're trying to do an accent parts of the Caribbean, but no. Yeah, so he's uh, he's pretty well known. The only film film he's done is this film. But yeah, so he um, he wants to drop out and become a singer, but we're not talking about some pop star or something. We're talking about mm. a proper opera singer. Uh, what else? He's uh, we find out Joey Zaza's basically got all the old sort of Corleo New York interests, and Vincent is working for him. Vincent, we see Vincent arrive. Now I don't know if you noticed, but he did arrive with his mother. Oh, okay. Did you not notice? No. When they when he get there, we're, we're immediately embroiled in him about to get into a fight because they won't let him in. But. Mm. The woman, a woman, says to him, "Our name isn't down," and that is the same actress who was being shagged by Sonny at the start of The Godfather. So his mother is there. He is, he is the illegitimate son of son of Sonny, and that bridesmaid from the first film. That's not to say he was conceived at that wedding necessarily, but he, wow. no, in fact, he wouldn't be because the actor. I think the character, the actor's older. The actor's in his thirties by this point, but I think we find out at one point. He's about 26, which means he must have been conceived right at the end of Sonny's life. In fact, the maths doesn't work, because if this is 1979, that means he was born in 53. I'm sure Sonny was killed before the end of the 40s. But either way, he's he, Sonny's he, son. He, he must have pointed before running off and... <laughs> yeah. Perhaps he's... Well, he had a big dick didn't he? Perhaps it's like one of those Liam Neeson jokes, right? He ejaculated <laughs> and it took four years for it to exit the end of his knob. Sometimes. <laughs> and that was at supersonic speeds. He, you know, Sonny, Sonny had, like, super sperm that just lay dormant when it waited to wait for years to come, like, after his death. Yeah. He just <laughs> said, yeah. right, now, boys! <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Sonny died. Well, he, di he died before um, Michael came back to the U US, and that was early 50s at latest. So, yeah, the maths doesn't quite work. But anyway, either way, we'll, we'll skip over that for a minute. He is the son of, of Sonny, and he is very transparently Sonny's boy, isn't he? They go straight yeah. for, like, ridiculous degrees of anger. Yeah, it's very hot-headed, uh... Well, he arrives, they they question whether he's, you know, he's not on the list, so they ask him to leave, and he's ready to mm. kick the shit out of them. And it's a room <laughs> full of gangsters? So what are you doing? It's a room full of gangsters and religious figures. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
he is introduced to Michael. Uh, well, Joey goes to see him and basically says, um, I don't know if this is my problem or your problem, because he's, he's your, he claims to be your family, but he works for me. Um, and I can't remember what he said. He's just saying he won't do what he's told, basically, isn't he? he just, he's finding yeah. Vincent difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, Michael has presumably placed him there. Uh, and they have a real testy exchange where um, Vincent is saying, you know, Joey calls you this, that and the other. And they're asked to make up and then he bites a portion of his ear off. Yeah, he calls him a bastard, doesn't he, basically? Bastard. Yeah. And he, then, then he bites off bastard, yeah. Um, um, the first take of that, he caught like too much of prosthetic, pulled the whole thing off and part of his hair as well. I mean, his real hair, because some of his real hair near his ear got ripped out of his head the first take they did this. Uh, and then so he says, well, come and work for me for a while and see if you learn. Because mm. uh, he said, well, he said, I'll come and work for you. And he says, well, as a tough guy, I need more lawyers. Not not tough guys. Michael is, is reaching to be out of this business, but mm. he knows he ain't out yet. So Michael, Vincent goes to work for him. Uh, Joey Zaza and uh, Michael are now a bit pissed off with each other, it seems. Uh, what else? What else? Uh, Mary, Mary's the apple of her father's eye. Kay yeah. hates Michael, really, or she at least dreads him. And uh, Mary really college. wants to fuck her cousin, which is a bit odd. Yeah, and the age gap is big. But anyway, um, yeah. Is, is, is that like, is that like a common thing, or is, or is that like is that? Well, it's weird, more like what it's more what passes for like raunchy banter, because she says, um, "I saw you at I don't know a wedding. You were fifteen and I was eight, and she's nineteen, so that's where I get his age from. So he's got to be twenty six, which the maths doesn't work. But anyway, mind you, we're never told where she's nineteen. The actress is nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um. And in fact, she could be... No, she could be a bit older than that, actually, thinking about it. The actress is 19, but that would put her birth at about 1960. And I'm not quite sure when Mary was born. It could be... could have been before that. So there's a seven-year age gap. But she says something like... He said, I don't know, I had lots of girlfriends. And he went, what, eight-year-old? And he went, especially eight-year-olds. And that's meant to be, like, playful banter. (laughs) Yeah, I loved fucking eight-year-olds when I was 15. What? There's no form of playful where that works. <laughs> it's a bit dodgy, isn't it? It's a bit very... Okay. And you just think, all right, but I mean, I, I know Coppola had affairs and stuff like that, but presumably by this point, it's a few years since he's chatted anyone up, because that's not how it works, surely. <laughs> uh, so what else we got? Connie is Connie is very much championing Vincent. Because she's she's really like, yeah. Connie's through the films. She's changed con- like consistently through the films, isn't she? Well, she's very Italian mother here, isn't she? Yeah. Even in the way she moves, she's pretty much like kind of in the corner of the family now. She's like she's fully like in Michael's corner, like as a well, she supports Vincent, but. She is with the family now. She's not. She hasn't has had this like. Do you know what? Brushes. She's not. She's only a step away from being his consulary. Yeah. She's she's very much his conscience. She's the one. She he talks to her. You know, she he talks to her a lot. She talks to him. Mm. She's always got an opinion on stuff. She's she's one of the few able to give her opinion to him. Um, 
And it's probably down to that she's like obviously the last sibling. Yeah, so there, there is. So there's that. probably like an element of like, fuck it, you know, we're we're the last yeah. ones, we might as well stick together, eh? <laughs> Maybe. Quite on the nose, when he's receiving his award at the start, he's he's seeing in his mind the death of Fredo. Mm. So it's Flashback City, where you couldn't watch this film only if you'd not seen the previous ones, I don't think. It were not very easily. Um, some of that felt a bit forced and lazy. But, I mean, we've talked quite a long time, but there are about four or five plot things we wanted to get across, and that did take about 40 minutes. So it's not a, it's not off to a... When you think the first film had 25 minutes of seemingly not very much, but if you sat down and wrote down what you'd learnt and what happened, it's a hell of a list. Mm. So it's not as good as that. But we've got some key things about his boy, about his relationship with Kay, and Vincent is now working for him. And that's obviously very important going forward. And he's basically sort of organising like a deal with the Vatican, isn't he? Yeah, the Vatican Bank are, have got like debt or something, and he offers hundreds of millions uh, in exchange for shares in Immobilare. And I keep forgetting what a mobile is. It's something to do with land, isn't it? Uh, let me have a look. I'm trying not to look, because I don't just want to read Wikipedia pages. But I think it might be, like, real That's estate. It, unfortunately, it did kind of lose my interest in it a bit. Um, it's because it's, it's a boring it's story. Point. It's business uh, speak. Real estate. Um, okay. It's, so... It's, it's, so it's he, he quite wants, dry as well. Well, he wants to buy the Vatican's share in it, which will give him, like, the main interest. And it needs to be ratified by the Pope. Um, we'd also seen... Uh, we, we did mention him in a jokey way, but Eli Wallach is at the, the, the party. He's Don Altabello. He's a New York boss. Um, and he keeps trying to sort of get... We keep mention they keep mentioning the commission, right? And now if you look up the commission, it is like the governing body of the American mafia. Unfortunately, I don't think the commission's been mentioned on either of the two previous films. So I didn't really know what the fuck they were talking about. I had to look it up. No, it's it meant to be quite important. Why have we not heard about it before? So yeah, I mean they're saying like the five the five families I'm presuming were like the equivalent in that when they needed a group decision they got the five families together. There is no equivalent now because they were all killed off in part one and they've diversified over the years and people mm. have died and other people have come in. So Eli Wallach's banging on about the commission and I just don't think that is properly explained to us. Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes you kind of think, oh, is this part of like the five families thing now? or Is that still a thing? Or I, I guess that you just accept that there is some similar arrangement you know like with the crime bosses getting together having like a, a group meeting make sure they don't step on each other's toes but they just called it something else now i don't know i mean it's clear they, it's clear michael doesn't want involvement because it's mob mm. and, he, and he's still reaching for this legitimacy but it's kind of i think we can read what it is but it is awkward to be dropping this turn term in in the third film but it is effectively for the commission, Rue, read that room full of mobsters we get in just a little while. And I yeah. think that's why Michael just pays them all off. And he pays them multi-millions each, with the exception of Joey Zaza, because it's based on who, what they own and how long they've been involved. 
<laughs> so he got absolutely nothing, and he clearly got... he's pissed. It's very much so. He's not happy. It's like just you know, you have made an enemy. I, I see. I can't. I can't help but not think, but do, do his voice on The Simpsons. It's like <laughs> I the fact am very person. upset. <laughs> and it's a very different. It's very different as well. <laughs> He's, he's got a very recognisable voice, hasn't he? It's like, obviously, Pacino. It's like, as soon as you hear him, you know it's Joe Montana. Yeah, I think so. When, when I see hear him on the special features, it's like, actually, yeah, you've got quite... Yeah, you are quite f- familiar very to distinctive. Like, you know it's Al Pacino, or you know it's... Um, I'm not going to call him Cherry. <laughs> here after his ice cream name. Um, Andy Garcia. Cherry Garcia, yeah. <laughs> Cherry, not Jerry, but and, Cherry. And you, and you Glacier Cherries. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so what do you call him? Like, oh, cappuccino. And you said, yeah. oh, he, he got written off the set because he was always. He was latte to the set every time. He's latte to the set every day. I was yeah. like, oh my god. And he couldn't do an Americano <laughs> accent. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Yeah. But this yeah, is easy. They have, have to order a new actor by uh, Espresso Delivery. <laughs> 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 I, think, I think we've milked all the coffee jokes from uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we have. Yeah, yeah, we've done enough mockers. Uh, <laughs> no, can't cram, can't cram flat white in anywhere. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this leads straight to the helicopter scene, um, and of course, I, I think that's a bit out of nowhere. But it is, it's Zaza in league with. I think I knew at the time it was quite obviously Altabello. Yeah, because he was well, the one always trying to talk. Michael it is Rand. pretty obvious. Like, hang on, who's the guy who, who like rushed like seconds after the actual attack? And you've just <laughs> been in Michael's car trying to talk him into like letting the commission in on it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's not very well hidden, but I do like this helicopter scene, particularly for the fruit, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> there What's too? the fruit in this scene? I must have missed that. I just there's saw apples, the bullets. Oranges, grapes. In fact, the first thing you hear there's something. You hear the sound of something, and then an orange falls off its pile of oranges. Uh, there, there, there was there was something of a lucky coat, which was a bit like a like a moment of My a random coat. comedy. <laughs> That's just mental, isn't it? What is that? <laughs> that that was like that reminded me of. Um, Frank Drebin randomly pulling a fucking bingo card down the door. <laughs> so why did he suddenly drop that in? Pretty good sequence, though. Pretty yeah, good. It, it, it is something out of a spoof, though, isn't it? It's like, my lucky goat! <laughs> yeah, not so lucky, though. He's like, yeah. my lucky goat, and then all of a sudden he gets shot up by death from above. And it's like, oh, not so lucky now, punk. Can't watch yeah. this without thinking of Star Trek Into Darkness. I'm thinking, no wonder they didn't catch the perpetrator. He, like, beamed to fucking Kronos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, but yeah, no, it is quite an, an action-heavy scene. I mean, it, it show it's... Uh, it goes uh, on it's, a bit as well, and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, they threw some real money and time at this scene. It's, yeah. yeah, it's quite a long scene, isn't it? Yeah, there's, uh, you see, it's the sort of, like, a nice shed of violence of, like, people just getting, like, just machine guns to death. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it, and there is an element of, like, fucking hell, what would you do? Like... Where do you go? They they yeah. shut the door and put handcuffs on the outside of it. And 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 there's no real reasonable place you can sort of just take cover because like everywhere just seems to be getting shot to shit, no matter where you go. So um... I don't know where it is they're meeting. Can you imagine being searched on the way in and you have got handcuffs on you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're meeting a load of other men. What are you getting up to? 
Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it was all stitched up from the from the get go, wasn't it? So it's was probably a prearranged. But yes. um, so, I mean, the the funny thing is though, it's like so. Was 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 Joey Salazar really involved, or was he just like happened to be? Well, it the thing is as well, isn't it? At the very same meeting, Zaza realizes he's getting nothing. Yeah, it's like can you imagine, like, if, can you like imagine if he'd minutes. been handed a check for one hundred and fifty million dollars, and then he's at the window going, "No, no, it's all and right." Then, and then I'll bet runs after him. It's like, look, don't worry, should we kill him? Yeah, all right then. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he, I mean, Altabella might have known who's getting what because he's close to the Corleone family. Mm. So he's probably checked the nod. You're not going to be getting anything. Uh, the rest of them have had really generous amounts in in the tens of millions in some cases. So Michael's got severe, serious wealth. What he's basically done is liquidated his Las Vegas holdings to pay off the commission to basically buy them off from not getting involved on this this new deal. Yeah, they don't have any de- they don't have any sort of equity in Michael's businesses. He's, he's basically buying buying everyone out. He's yeah, like, okay, it's just basically here's a ton of money. Leave me to do this immobiliary deal. Uh, and so he, he does say right afterwards because he's back in his kitchen. And that's with the famous just when I thought yeah. I was out, they pulled me back in. Doesn't look very well, um, and that, we, that becomes clear in a minute why. I don't remember him saying it's Altabello, but I do remember him saying he didn't think Zaza was smart enough to do it. Yeah, he hasn't got the. the he, you know, he kind of knows the type of person he is. He's like he's basically just a thug. Well, he knows every uh, type yeah, of gangster, yeah, he doesn't he? Yeah, he hasn't. He hasn't got the uh, the connections. He hasn't got the ambition. He hasn't like. He doesn't have the like the the originality. I think he always did, so, did something like that. Um, but yeah, so, so, brain so, sport, really. Does he mention so, Altabello at this point though? I don't remember. Because I am looking it, at the Wikipedia page now, and he says he realizes Altabello is the traitor. I don't remember yeah. that in the film. I I don't remember it though. Uh, I do remember at the time thinking like, well, it's clearly him, isn't it? Because <laughs> you know he's the one who ran out like literally moments after it all kicked off. It's like, well, of course it's going to be him. So maybe it might have been stating the obvious. I don't know, but uh, there's not really much time because he has like a diabetic stroke anyway. Um, I- I'm caught up on Al Pacino at this point in that I think he's a terrible overactor at this stage of his life, but this is actually quite harrowing to watch. Mm. I mean, at first thinking, fucking hell, he's having a heart attack, isn't he? Shit, you know. Well, he's, he's gripping his head, so I actually thought he mm. was having a stroke, if I'm honest. Mm. I don't think at this point, and I think even until recently, I didn't actually link it to diabetes. No. And I think that's because I haven't really known diabetics have strokes. So I, I just assumed he'd had a stroke, and as we notice his health declining, he's got diabetes as well. But I think the two are linked. Yeah, so basically he's like hospitalised, and that sort of runs tightness with the deal with, uh, with I want to say with the Popes, um, with, with the, the Vatican. Popes. <laughs> well, it slows everything down, and of course yeah. he, go, he then goes into hospital. And Kay is, I, we hear Connie give um, Vincent the go-ahead, and we're not quite sure what on, but it becomes really obvious. Mm. Um, so while Michael's in hospital, uh, Vincent arranges arranges to off Joey Zaza. Yeah, because Vincent's two... constantly saying we need we need we need to take him out now, and it's like and. Um... Where Michael's sort of thinking, no, because he's not doing it alone. We need to figure out. Yeah. 
who is essentially... It's not like he goes straight to Revenge of Violence, just like his father. He's not ready. Yeah. But um, he's ready worryingly fast when you look at the time frame of this film, but he's not ready at this point in the film. Two major things that happen when they're in, when he's in, while he's in hospital is the uh, killing of Zaza and Zaza's bodyguard. We'll talk about his bodyguard in just a second because that's a notable figure in real life. Um, and the beginnings of the relationship between Vincent and, and Mary. Mm. The, the erotic making of gnocchi. <laughs> Gnocchi's nice, but it's never got me laid. You're gnocchi? No. I mean, there is like, there is a certain parallels to the first woman, isn't it, with the the, the Godfather going into stroke? Oh, sorry, goes being hospitalised, and then the, the son, and the, the son sort of having to take ownership and trying to deal with it, and hits going all over the place, kind of thing. So there is some parallels to the first one. Um, I also of Godfather Part 2 as well with the, the parade going with the way the the hit happens uh, it felt very like the Godfather 2's hit uh, not quite as much love and time and everything else put to it because that, that's a bigger scene Yeah. but his, his main bodyguard and the guy we see with him when he has part of his ear bitten off and all the rest of it um, is uh, played by a guy called Vito Antipoferma Vito Antwafirma was world middleweight champion in the late 70s. Wow. We're not just talking like he was a professional boxer. He was at the peak mm. of his game. World heavyweight champion. He had a draw with Marvin Hagler when Marvin Hagler was the challenger. And next time out, he lost to Alan Minter, the British fighter. And then Alan Minter, in turn, lost his title to Marvin Hagler. But yeah, Vito Antwafirma was world middleweight champion. Mm-hmm. Um, went on, obviously, to do oh, a bit it. of acting. And this is one of those things. We also see, and I'm pretty sure it's in this scene, we see him with, we see Vincent with an older lady, and that's um, Martin Scorsese's mother. You see her again in Goodfellas because she plays um, Joe Pesci's mother in that, the one, the mm. one that they go and have dinner with when they've just killed that guy. Um, yeah, so I forget her first name, but she, yeah, she's in it. Didn't she always like sort of used to like you know provide the catering as well on the set of the movie? I'm not so. sure. I don't know too much about it, but she did a little bit of acting and she he cast her in this. It's a fairly small role, mm. but yeah, he kills he kills he kills um, he kills the bodyguard whose name is escaping me at the moment, and then he and then he shoots Zaza uh, three times, twice in the back and then once through the head, and just gives it Zaza. <laughs> um, and Michael's furious. It's you know, it, it, no, don't give that order without my say so. Not while I'm alive. It, it's not what I wanted. Mm. In fact, it's not. Well, I think Harry starts to get shouty as yeah, well. It's kind of all right though. He's tr- it's not too bad. He was trying to keep sort of a lid on it. Um, so, what next? Uh, well, we're not yeah, far because they go to Sicily like halfway through the film. Yeah. I mean, I think that doesn't. We have all the relationship stuff with Mary, and uh, yeah, they they do go to. We have we have missed the fact because obviously get, Becca gave her second billing Bridget Fonda, and we not even mentioned her. Well, because... <laughs> that, well actually, yeah, that's the point because because it's, the film starts off, and it's and it feels like she's going to have a lot more prominent role, like she's going to be like the main love interest for Andy Garcia, and she's never like seen or heard from again. She's like. Uh, you know, she gets like attacked in in, in uh, Vincent's apartment, and she's like, just gets freaked out and just just never seen again. Really, I I've never understood that. Bridget Fonda by this point was a name. 
Yeah. I'm not saying she was a superstar, but she was a name. You know? Um, I mean, the, the thing looking at, I'm just looking back at her filmography now. The thing I remember her from is Scandal, the Christine Keeler story from before oh, yeah. this. She was Maddie Rice Davies in that. And she done films. Single White Humour, was it? Yeah, but that's after this. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about what she would have been. Fa- In fact, she had a bigger year the following year because she did Doc Hollywood and Single White Female and yeah, singles and so on in the next year or so after this. But I was surprised. I'm still surprised uh, that she's hardly in this at all. She basically, as a reporter, turns up at this party at the start, tries to leverage his Vincent's name to get in, doesn't work. You then know she's having at least a fling with Vincent. Vincent kills a couple of intruders to the apartment. I suspect they're Zaza's men. In fact, they're told, they tell them. He shoots one in mm. the head, then shoots the other, just as he says, Joey Zaza. Um, so that does contextualise why he's so desperate to kill Zaza off. But yeah, that we never see her again afterwards. So a bit later in the film, he's getting closer to his cousin. Uh, and they're making gnocchi together. <laughs> and, um, it, 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 it more than one way. Is that what it's called these days? Gnocchi is, yeah, it's called gnocchi these days. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, and then they. I always wonder how he must have felt directing his daughter in that. But there you go. There's nothing that graphic, but it is no, quite it's a sexual scene. Uh, what else? So he wants. I know he. I can't remember when he says it, but he does tell Vincent he doesn't want him involved with his daughter. And I think he wants to leverage that though to get Vincent in with um, what's he called? I've just to- totally uh, Elo- Don Altabella. Yeah. He basically said you need to go to like his people and say you want to be with my daughter, and I'm not letting you. Yeah, and but at the same time, he wants to out of harm's way wants yeah. Mary out of harm's way doesn't yeah. want because he, he does make a point the fact that they come for your loved ones when when um, which is a valid point though I must say they just seem to blatantly ignore the fact that they're fucking cousins they just, it's just a bit weird it's just it like weird, yeah. I mean that is that, that is at least in this country legal yeah but I would have thought it's Friend. A bit, it's a bit of a taboo, really, isn't it? So, well, cause, yeah, he was saying, oh, look, it's a bit weird, you know, you can't see him, stop seeing him. And it's just like, it's, ooh, creepy. Yeah, you, you know, yeah, Michael never once says, like, look, I care about the door, so I don't want harm's way, and also, ugh, really? <laughs> are you mad? Your kids will have cleft pallets or something. <laughs> um, or, or, you know, six feet, uh, six is, toes on. It is legal. You know. How frowned upon it is, I don't know. Gross. That's as close as you can be related, first cousins, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't like a, a sort of edited version where he goes, oh, and actually, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's your cousin. <laughs> anyway. It's like you're doing my ex wife or something. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's like you're trying Specifically to be Dave's ex wife. Not my ex-wife, I meant Michael's ex-wife. <laughs> Have you seen that uh, Friends episode with Denise Richards? Where they're, which, yeah, which... they are like second oh, yeah. cousins or something. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah. It is That's quite funny. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So, yeah, they, we, we're told that uh, Anthony's making a debut in Palermo, in Sicily, in the spring, 
in some opera or other. I don't know which opera it is. Yeah. I'm looking at it now, actually. Cavalleria Rusticana. Okay, not one I know. Um, so they all head off to spend some time with Don Tomasino, who we saw in the first two films. And it's at that point Michael says, you know, basically pretend to defect from me. And he's introduced to Don Lucchese, the guy who's killed with his own glasses later, later in the film. And at this point, I start... That's losing, quite an interesting death, I think. I start losing track of people, though, because you've got you've got this Lucchese character. You've got the treasury guy from the the Vatican Bank who's always smoking. And then you've got... Oh, the Don's come out of the woodwork, don't they? It's, and it's, it's like, who, who like, are you again? Uh, they're just, well, they're just generically Michael's enemies. I don't really... Um, I can't get that into it. I, I, I mean, very early in his time there, he goes and gives. Uh, he goes to discuss. He goes to meet Lamberto because he's favoured to be the next pope, and the pope has to sign off on the deal mm-hmm. to talk to him about the deal, and ends up giving confession. To be honest, I do, I was, do think the confession scene is quite good, though. I the, like the, the way the performance that they give is quite um, quite compelling. I, I loved it. What did you think, Chris? The confession scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I was I was okay with it. I think it was. I think it. I mean, it, it just seemed to be like. I mean, I haven't really talked about um, Michael as a character uh, generally for this film, but for the start of the film, he starts off as someone who is, who just seems to be sort of like carrying this weight of guilt, like he's almost like slouching. I mean, part of it is his age, but he just gives that impression of someone who's just constantly mourning and constantly just like just down and kind of just uh, just have this big burden on and the moment he has this big emotional confession when he's in, in tears admitting that he killed his own brother it, th- there seems to be like something just lifted from him ever since from films since then like he, he just well, yeah, seems very much around, like it's around that time Kay turns up so it might be a coincidence, but he gives confession and then he's out and about and, and having quite a light and easy time with Kay. So I, I think you're kind of right. There was a lot of criticism of this film, and I may have said it in, in the opening comments. I can't remember because we talked about this film off air before we started recording. So <coughs> apologies if I'm repeating myself and I'm not really going to go back and listen to work out whether I did. But there was some criticism at the at the start when this film came out that this just wasn't the same character. And that, that lady who introduced me to The Godfather Part 2, who I was dating when I was about 19, said, oh, Godfather Part 3 is awful because Michael's just not the same character at all. And I, like I say, I see their point because it's like 12, or, but it's 12 or 13 years on. He's getting, not to, I would say towards the end of his life. He's only 60, but, you know, in some respects, he's lucky to have got this far with the life he's chosen. And I can see that he's like rethinking his choices and he's now got adult children and like a life to enjoy with them and stuff. So I'm okay with it. He seems to be kind of like appreciating, I mean, like appreciating like his children more. Like he's sort of also proud of. Well, the first comments we get from him, he's like, when he's really writing to them, when he yeah. cries when he sees his son, he sees his son singing, which is lovely. That always reminds me of the end of Billy Elliot. Oh where the, yeah. Where the, where the dad's like crying, just quiet. Yeah, he finally he, accepts. He, well, he probably accepted years before because there's a time yeah. jump. But sure, yeah, sure. He, he actually sees his, his son make like his West End debut or whatever. Yeah, sort of being, being happy and doing and what he wants really to do. Sweetly. Um, mm. That's a lovely film. The first thing we see of Michael in this film, he's writing to his children. And as lazy exposition as it is, that tells you where his priorities are. 
he, he wants to turn back the clock, really. Not literally. He doesn't want to go back 20 years, but he wants that second shot with wife and children. Mm. You can he wants, see... He, he wants to rebuild a connection. He feels like... Oh, he knows he's fucked up, and now it's like... It's with all three right. of them as well, though, because there is a certain look on his face when he sees Kay turn up with her husband. Because mm. it's dropped in dialogue. He hasn't seen her for eight years at that point. So he hasn't seen her since a handful of years after the first one. Presume after the second film, presumably, whenever it was, he consented for his children to go to them. He hasn't seen them since, or the or mum since anyway. Okay, so yeah, I think that that's really the bits I take away from Sicily. We've got all this immobilari stuff, and I wish I was. I mean, I watched this film today, and I watched it a few weeks ago as well. So. It's not that I'm not familiar with it, I just don't really know what to say about it. We've got all this stuff of, like, a Pope dying of old age. And then we've got, like, him replaced by this Cardinal Lamberto. And he's, like, poisoned later in the film. Mm. And there are rumours. I mean, John Paul I did only live in office about 33 days or something. And there were always rumours, was he? And um, I know Coppola took a lot of his cues from, like what-if scenarios on stuff that real ha really happened. So, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it does sort of reflect real life to a certain degree, doesn't it? Obviously, names have been changed to protect the innocent, to protect the Pope. Well, um, it's not even he's saying it's happening. He's saying that certain scenarios played out, and you could suggest maybe something. It, it's, he's just taken his cue from real life to create this sort of fiction. It's not in the same year for a start, but it's clearly influenced by all of that. When he, yeah, when he, he breaks down conf confessing that he ordered, uh, he said, I betrayed my wife, I betrayed myself. I never took that as sexual betrayal of his wife. I think he just means betraying the promises to her that he'd get mm. straight. And the very fact that he follows with it, with it with, I betrayed myself, means that he, he doesn't mean infidelities and stuff. He says he ordered men killed, uh, and he said he killed his brother and then he breaks down and of course his blood sugar suddenly drops as well so he has a bit of a collapse and asks for anything sweet and I think he gets some fruit juice and chocolate and stuff and he's dropping that everywhere as well it is quite an affecting scene it's probably the most affecting scene in the film for me yeah I, don't know, I, I, mean, I think you're right in terms of all the, the plotty stuff mm. I do zone out of it but I think the things I end up connecting more is the stuff with Michael on how he starts rebuilding the relationships, that and the stuff with Alabello and and the the assassination attempt and things like that. Those are the bits I kind of like put me is I kind of politely just like phase over the. It can't it can't bother the, me that the, much that Michael's that difficult. The, different. The, the, the banky plotty stuff. It's like yeah okay they're just little minor but details. I'm still, that, I'm still that interested in Michael's story yeah, after all this yeah. time, and that that must tell me something. You know that. It can't, it can't bother me that he's that different. That I'm not treating him as a new character. I'm treating treating him as a as a continuation of the story that's now covered thirty five years at this point in terms of the family story, uh, Michael's story anyway. Because we meet him in the mid forties and we're now at the end of the seventies. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's all it's all about trying to ratify this immobiliary deal. But you've got Don Lucchese who was just using it as a way to sort of skin money. Um, and it else? does ha it does have some emotional resonance with the fact after seeing where Michael went to last in the last film, you know, and this bear in mind it's only been like a week since we we've, we've seen it. It was probably like 
ten over ten years or however long it was, you know, in 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 the making. But here it feels like it's very satisfying to kind of like see this character just kind of trying to claw his way out of like the the dark depths the way he went to. You know, it it, it feels like oh come on, you always kind of start rooting for him. He's like yeah okay come on. And it, it's there's something very poetic to me that he goes almost to the family home yeah. for like re, reborn because when Vito left that home he, he couldn't have known that it would all unfold the way it unfolded mm. you know and he, he kind of almost fell into a life of organised crime through being like bullied by a local mobster actually so you know it's almost this like trying to rebirth the family he, he even tells because um, he, he actually you see him thinking about um, Apollonia and he actually tells his kids about it. He actually says, you know, no, it was, it, and they, they actually shoot in that very yard where that happened, mm. um, which must have been interesting for cast and crew all those years later. Um, particularly, you know, they brought children and grandchildren and stuff with them as well that that wouldn't have been around when they shot the first one. But um, he tells his kids. He says, you know, he said, and she wanted to drive to me, and so you know, there's an openness that. His kid, on the one hand, you think, well, he's telling his kids, but on the other hand, he's telling his kids who are like 20 and 28, or whatever the characters are, 23 and 28, or whatever the characters are meant to be. It's taken him that long to be able to like open up and talk to them. They probably didn't even know he was ever married before. I sometimes wonder if Kay had ever known. Um, at the same time, Vincent um, reports back about you know the fact that Michael could be assassinated and all the rest of it. And um, I think it's around that time he makes him the new head of the family. Yeah, it's like, well, and he sort of, yeah, you're, you're mature now, mate. Yeah, it's been two months. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You've got to kind of forget about that. I mean, he, yeah. he, he has gone into a hostile environment, found threats against Michael, and hasn't kicked off and like tried to kill him or anything. He's come back and done what's asked of him. And at the start of the film, Michael said, just come with me for a while, see if you learn. So, yeah. maybe that is time enough. Maybe he you know, he has had time to reflect on what he wants. And, you know, I suppose if he's going to give up Mary, who seems to matter to him, I'm not quite sure why. I think that's another weakness in the character. You need a more charismatic actress there. Yeah. Um, I... He was sleeping with Bridget Fonda at the start of the film. Now he's got this sort of teenage void. He, um, he, do, he does seem to like sort of go with it like there's not about any like oh I have to give up the love of my life okay <laughs> well it's like <laughs> with a better actress opposite him or certainly a more a stronger screen presence where you really bought this connection you might just think you might just see it as about his drive mm. his drive to right this is what he wants to which is why he's doing it properly with the right casting you'd go okay to give that up He's not going to give it up to half-ass it and be really violent. If he's going to give this up and it's that important to him, yeah. then he's decided being the head of the family he's, he's, is he's really important to him and he's going to do it properly to justify that sacrifice. But of course, because he's mm. given up some fairly uncharismatic teenage girl that we've only seen around each other really once or twice, I can't buy it as a sacrifice. I, I, I never really buys that interested in her. Mm. Well, I, I do, because Andy Garcia is a good enough actor, but I don't get why. Um, so I've never really understood that. But he makes him head of the family. 
and I think the thing that always the two things that always um, strike me is firstly how right Vincent looks in the chair. Like you go, yeah, I can see that he's like head of the family. I can see that now. How sad yeah. Michael looks being led out of the room by Connie. It, it, yeah, it's a bit sad. He, he, yeah, he does look a bit like a little bit like Pacino did in the early films, doesn't he? To feel, you know, he does have that kind of classic similar, Yeah, he does. But I just, I just felt Pacino looked really sad. I thought, I just thought, I, I don't know if it was they, just the fact that the family's going to continue, and, and perhaps he didn't want the family to continue in the name of crime, or whether it is just the passage of time, or possibly maybe, I mean, he's, maybe he's hoping he might be thinking any number of things. What, what will this guy make the same mistakes I made with family? You know, that sort of thing could be any number I, of things. Yeah, I, I think it's probably. Uh, an acting choice of Pacino. I mean, you could have played it any other way. I think what you could say is there'll be a mixture of emotions because you, you can be like attached to certain places or or certain things in life, even if you know you know it's right to move on and you are absolutely dedicated to move on, but it's still kind of like sad to leave it. You know, you still get a little bit nostalgic, a little bit like. Oh, so this is the last time I'll, you know, it'll be like this. You know, there's, there is certain elements of, of a sad nostalgia when leaving something that you know is right, that you really want. So, um, I suppose it's like leaving, I suppose it's like leaving home or something like that, similar, isn't it? It's like, yeah. you know, you know, you have to move on, but you still well, get yeah, a little it's bit. It's a fascinating mix of things, and the thing is, you do do all those thinking. You do yeah. do all, you do have all those thoughts. You don't just say, oh, look, he looks sad. <laughs> my mind, yeah. my mind went on that journey. Yeah. As I watched it, I thought, you know, I wonder if he's thinking this, and he might be thinking a bit of that, and he's watching Vincent, and there's an element of the passage of time, because there's a passing resemblance between one guy and the way they at least presented Al and made him up when he was a younger man. So, yeah, lots of that, and just the diminishing of strength, because he knows he's weakening. Um, I don't know, a little bit of pride, a little bit of everything, but the under, underpinning it all is like a sad, ageing man being led out of a room by his sister mm. while a strong vibrant man sits where he once sits or once kind of yeah I, I really I like that one of my two two or three favorite scenes of the film which tells you a lot about the film because they don't match up to like my favorite scenes from the earlier films but that and the confession have always sort of stuck out to me uh and then i think we go to the we have an assassination attempt, well, attempted because the um, Alberto has hired like uh, 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 a father and son hitman duo. The Just as a pope. Best kind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the son likes to do donkey impressions, which I don't know why. That was a bit weird. That was a bit strange. I was like, oh, okay. Really I, like, I like the, the drive-by, drive-by bombing, I guess. He's like, oh, once an assassin, always an assassin. And he just, just shoots, like, just shoot, and goes, oh, fuck it. Bombings are shooting, yeah. Yeah, that's why, drive by shooting. Yeah, it's not a very well thought out plan, was it? It was like, oh, Bob, basketball, good right, see you. Can we have a lift? No. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, <Yeah. clears throat> so Don oh, Tomasino. Come on, we're just priests, you know. That's Don Tomasino killed anyway. Um, 
there's a couple of scenes in this film where I think the dialogue's really bad, and and um, what one is his scene with Kay in, at the start of the film, where you, you became my horror. I didn't like that very much. Sort of thing that probably reads all right in a book. Um, we get a bit of Michael um, sat by his coffin, mm. the coffin of Don Tomasino, and he's talking to him and talking to him about I could, you know. You could have lived a little longer and I could be closer to my dream. Why were you so loved and I was so feared? And I hated all of, I hated all of it. I hated all of that dialogue. It gets across the point that Michael is still screaming for an out and a legitimacy. That this, this job has extracted a, a, a price from him. He never really has come to terms with having had to pay. Um, I... I, I guess it was kind of more of a f- reflection of character. I mean, he, he was mm. still kind of doing in the same sort of profession, but it's, it's like, well, why? What, what was it that you did that I did wrong? Like, what was what's the difference? Like, you know, it's like, why are you so loved and I'm so feared? You know, could I have done things differently? What did you do differently that I? You were have... a fucking sociopath, Michael. Yeah. It's not that hard. <laughs> why, why wasn't I loved like you? Well, you, you weren't much of a laugh, to be honest. Yeah, you're a bit mm, a bit suspect. You know, the, I think when he early in the film where he says I'm off to listen to some Tony Bennett records and laughs, I mm. think that's the first time Michael has laughed since he was outside Macy's or wherever it was with Kay in New York just before he finds out his dad's been shot. I don't think we've seen the character even fucking smile in the interim. You know, so I, I think it just goes back to my theme of the last episode. He's not that suited to it. Why were you loved and I was so feared? Well, probably he could incorporate it into his normal life and still be himself in a way Michael couldn't. Michael had to emotionally switch off to do this job. Um, so it's interesting. I just don't think the dialogue's very well written. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he makes Vincent take the Corleone name. That's worth um, mentioning. So we have another generation. I don't know if they were thinking sequels there. I'm sure Coppola wouldn't have been, but the studio might have. Um, and then we go to this this um, opera, Cavaliera Cavalleria Rusticana. I'm just looking it up. Mm. There, are, there, there have been some films of it as well. It's an opera in one act by Muscagni. Okay. No, nothing about it, but we do see bits of it. And I think Coppola just fancied doing this. I think he just said he'd always wanted to like direct something like this. Mm, it does seem very interesting. Yeah, personally, I've not heard of it since coming... Since coming, since now, poor choice of words. Um, I'm not heard of it since, since this film. I'm always learning about operas. I, <laughs> I was going to say that. since coming upon this film, but that was really yeah. bad. Um, since watching this film, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't know about it before, unfortunately. There's obviously going to be an attempt on Michael's life from the father and son. <laughs> I'm picturing Bert Large and his son from fucking like Doc Martin or something. <laughs> Large and son. Um, so there's going to be an attempt on his life, and I think they're kind of aware of this from Vincent. So Vincent's on the lookout. Um, and I just, I, I really, yeah, I wouldn't mm. have been upset if Connie had won an award for this. You know, uh, Talia Shire. I think she may have been nominated. She might have been one of the nominees. Yeah, because Connie gives. Um, she poisons Artabella. Yeah, with some uh, with some with some death desserts, 
Which I didn't think that's... I, even though I'd seen this film before, I don't think I knew that's what cannoli was. I thought cannoli yeah. was like some derivative of cannelloni. I don't think I realised it was like sweet stuff. Yeah. Yes, it's I a mean, special thing. I mean, it should have really been like Death by Chocolate, shouldn't it? Just um, it should have been Death by Chocolate. <laughs> well, it, should, it should have been like um, that Monty Python sketch. Oh, what, 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 what the funniest joke in the world. Joke warfare. That is funny. That was funny, that sketch. The, yeah, joke, the joke warfare sure. sketch. Um, yeah, so he's given poison. I think he might. He suspects it's Connie. It's uh, poison because he gets Connie to taste it. Which makes you wonder, like, how was it poisoned? What's the like? Well, he ate quite a lot of it. She only had a lick of it. Yeah. Also, like, so she had like a random antidote in her back pocket. Going, <laughs> yeah, I just wondered if she'd look. He'd look at her long enough that she'd go, "All right," and then just gob it out again. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just. I mean, it's obviously not that. Um, Heavily laced with it, you probably like the, po- the the poisons in the uh, in the centre. Well, I don't know. It, I mean, it's it in the gooey centre. It, it might just require you to eat a certain amount of it. Yeah, which he does because he's eating cannoli all the way through. Yeah, he's loving it. He's loving that shit, and she keeps uh, like checking up on him, and he keeps going. Like she keeps like, oh, is he still eating it? Okay. Is he dead yet? Okay. And then you got the kinds of character who I've barely noticed in this film the one that's hung from the bridge yeah I've barely noticed him I'm literally looking that one up because I didn't remember him at all I get yeah Archbishop Gilday I've noticed he was like the um he was like the treasury guy for the Vatican so he'd be doing a lot of the talking with Michael and he basically poisons the Pope Mm. and is then killed in turn by Al Neri I like that when Kay says, "Why, uh, why, um, why have you still got Al Neri working with you?" And he, he says something like, oh, "He's a good driver." And it's like you're still a bad liar, Michael. Um, so yeah, we've got we've got the the Godfather format of deaths going on around the place. So Don Lucchese is stabbed in the neck by Tomasino's bodyguard. Um, stabs him in the neck with his own spectacles. They had to they had to refilm that a couple of times because there was too much blood. This film nearly got an NC seventeen. Uh, like that, that that must have been like a suicide mission though, wasn't it? Because it yeah, was hey. basically Go on. Because like he had to go in a place where they armed and he had to go in unarmed and his and his go right, well, I'm gonna stab him with his own glasses. So like there's no way out for him. Like you, you know, he had to do it while before he get before getting shot himself. So uh, that that was the one thing about that. I just thought it looked very nice. Well, that's very, that's very like the killing of Hyman Roth in the second film. The person who killed him was never going to survive that. Yeah. So, so it just just what one, but it was a bit of a risky one anyway because it. But then like, he was okay, Tomasino's but... bodyguard anyway, so yeah. it's just like you know, it's a bit of a disposable, a bit of fall on the sword himself as well. I guess I don't know, but you've got that. You've got the hanging from the bridge. You've got the Pope being poisoned by the Archbishop. Um, and you've got the Archbishop being killed by Al Neri. So that's out and about. At the Opera House itself, you've got Mosca, who manages to kill a few people around the place. Yeah, he's, uh, he's killing off some of Michael or, or Vincent's men now. Yeah, there is a point, and it was in all the trailers, where the, the, gun, the sights are on Michael. Well, I, Michael sat in, like, his box or whatever. But... Um, they don't manage to get a shot off at him. Mm. Uh, what's the other one? 
so yeah, he gets another shot when they're outside. And he catches Michael in the shoulder, but shoots Mary. Just as Mary's complaining about being separated from Vincent. And, uh, yeah, and Vincent shoots him. Uh, and his, and his son, nothing happens to his son, he just kind of like... His son is stood right beside Mary, because he's basically, or behind Mary, because yeah. he's sort of saying, I think they must be going to some after party, because he's trying to get them to go with them. It's quite low-key, he's just, he's mm. acting like a perfectly regular person, like, come on, we've got to go to wherever. And then suddenly this sort of gunfight breaks out. Yeah. I mean, right. like, yeah, yeah, he's, I suppose he has a shotgun, doesn't he? And then, yeah, yeah, it's that taken away from him, because he's thinking, hang on, that, let me check that. Uh, and that's all you see of him, really. Yeah. And Mary is shot. They drop out the sound on the first, first half of Michael's scream. He screams with agony mm. over it all. He's just been shot as well, which doesn't help. Mm. It's really, like, emotive, isn't it? It's agonising. I, I always thought he was going to die down then of like of a heart attack or something like that when I first saw, saw that. It's like watching the end of Total Recall when the eyes are about to burst yeah. out of Arnie's oh, head God, or yeah. something. He oh. really looks quite distorted by it. Um, I can't imagine. I don't have children. I cannot imagine. But Coppola has children. And the other thing is Coppola lost a son in the mid-80s in a... In a, um, in a it was like a powerboat crash. Hmm. There was somebody fairly famous in that crash with him. I've got to look him up. Gio Coppola. Hang on. It was Gio. Giancarlo. Died in 1986. Here we go. Coppola was killed in a speedboating accident on Memorial Day 1986, age 22. Griffin O'Neill, who was piloting the boat. So son of Ryan Mm O'Neill. Had attempted to pass between two slow-moving boats, unaware that both boats were connected by a tow line. While O'Neill barely had time to duck, Coppola was struck and killed. At the time of the incident, O'Neill was being directed by Francis Ford Coppola in Gardens of Stone and was subsequently replaced. O'Neill was charged with manslaughter over the incident. He ultimately pleaded death to the charge. Da 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 da. Uh... At the time of his death, his fiancée was two months pregnant with her only daughter. And little Gia is in this film. You see, there's a bit of the party early on where. Uh, Michael dances with his daughter. Yeah. And there's a little girl trying to like separate them and ends up clinging on to like Sophia's legs. That's Gia. That's that's Gia's stuff. Aww. That was worth mentioning. What I'm saying is he's directing the death of a somebody's reaction to the death of a child and he's mm. been through it. Yeah. Well, that's gotta got... be hard to do anyway. I've yeah, never. Had, we, we talk about we talk about Pacino overacting at times. I've never had a problem with this. I've never had a problem with this at all. Like the only time it's kind of like he does have a couple of moments where he's you know his character is angry and he does get kind of like shouty like as we know him now. But I think I think that there are probably worse films I've seen him in where he, he does go over the top a little bit. Um, I say that there are two moments in, in this in this film where he does kind of get shouty, but. Apart from that, it's not—it's not massively overwrought, I would say. I was waiting for the screen. There is something about cutting out the first half of the screen that I almost need the catharsis of it. Mm. I was—I couldn't—I was holding my breath until I could hear the scream, and then I sort of could breathe again. There's almost a sense of like the scream is that loud that you know he can't hear it. It's like it's beyond. I don't. Yeah, it goes, it's, it, off, it, it it's off the above. register. Yeah. 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 Um, it's literally off the scale. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is a sense of 
the ultimate price that Michael has paid. I mean, he's like he's now done the the final. Whereas he's never act. been punished that much. Yes, yeah. he had lost people close to them, but I mean, when your brother is Sonny, there's a chance you're going to lose Sonny because Sonny's a yeah. hot-headed mobster. You know, his father was a mobster. His mother lived to a decent age. Fredo, I know he killed Fredo, but you know, for Fredo, this is the ultimate price: losing one of his children, and particularly it really Mary. It, it almost feels like the price he paid for by, for getting out. Almost, it's like he had to he had to do one last mob thing type thing to get out, and just the price he has to he, he yeah. personally paid for it, and it's kind and he, of but he got the soul, it, he, got the, well. he got the soul stone for it though. <laughs> Spoiler alert for uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think you know when, when you read up on this film, he does talk about uh, Coppola didn't want to make this film, not really, and I think that shows. But when once you decide to do it, you have to decide what your interests are and what your hook is, particularly if you're writing it yourself. You know, and you you can decide where the story goes. And that there is certainly a feeling that I don't. I think he felt that maybe you could argue Michael hadn't been punished enough. Yeah. In his life, and this is the opportunity. And how would Coppola, in his own life experience, show somebody suffering as much as it's possible to suffer death of a child? And um, and then we get to the the final scene where in so many years later on, yeah. Michael. Uh, is it, it's got a, an orange in his hand. He's got an orange in his hand. I spotted that, you know, Christmas Street Corner. Yeah, but you, um, you missed you missed the big fruit box office earlier in the, <laughs> earlier in the film. I was too concerned with the hail of bullets and and his lucky coat. <laughs> Not so lucky coat. Yes. That's like watching hours of porn, not noticing there was any sex in it, but then like spotting a cheeky hand job at the end. <laughs> Actually, it's nothing like that, but there you go. Um, yeah, yeah, this is the, the only we, we're not given the date. He looks a lot older. He's either blind or blinding, you know, on his way to going blind. Because um, you see him put dark glasses on, and he doesn't. He, he looks a bit infirm. The only re- reason I know the date is it was on the box set. One of them, I think, the video box set had it as. The Godfather Saga, 1901 to 1997, or something like that. So it's 18 years later. So, you know, he's about 77, 78. He's obviously retired to Sicily. One wonders if he ever left after the death of his daughter. Uh, Particularly as his son is now, like, working worldwide, if you like. K, the thing is, he was on the verge of getting K back as well. That probably nixed that, you know. Mm. Michael's business having now led to the death of her only daughter. So, one wonders if he ever left Sicily. I mean, Don Tomasino's killed during this film. I mean, there's a property going there, effectively. Yeah, so, yeah. from Lee Estate. He'll yeah. probably just stay there, and then, like, because, you know, no one else really to go, really. So, he, he had a bit like the end of two, you know, where he's staring in space. He's probably had a couple of decades of that, effectively couple of decades of just... Yeah, he sat in the garden of Tom Tomasino's villa. It says that on the page here. And actually, you recognise it as such. And then we see him just basically die. Not much made of it. No. It's, yeah, it's quite understated, understated but yeah, there isn't... I was, there isn't a bit, I was Every time I watch it, I'm a bit worried for the dog. Because you think yeah. he's, he's acting. I mean, Don't fall on the dog. I know, I, I, I might I, him. 
I've always thought it was a bit of a necessary scene, but why why couldn't he, Michael just died on the steps with his daughter? If you're going to kill him off, but it just seems a bit unnecessary. But to be honest, unfortunately, I think I prefer this, because it just adds, like, this add extra amount of time of mourning, and almost like, it's even more tragic, isn't it, He really? has a heart attack on the steps, he suffered for two or three minutes. Mm. Here he suffers for, like, a couple of decades. Mm. Um, as evidenced by, I think, I've never thought about it before. I thought, oh, at some point he suffered, he went back to Sicily. Actually, I doubt he ever left. You know? Yeah. He goes to Sicily for a for a positive thing. His son making it is something he was a bit reluctant to let him do, but the Campbells played off. So his son's a star. You know, he's got this business dealing he's, he's quite positive about. He's back in the old country. We see him really enjoy taking his family around these places and telling them little stories. You know, I love all that, and it mm. ends up with he probably never goes home again. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of get that impression, don't you, I think? And that's it, the Godfather trilogy. Mm. 1901 to 1997. Oh, I, love that. I love a happy ending. It's a long series. Yeah. <laughs> it is a long series. But we in, terms of year, in terms of years, well, I don't know, one before the longest. But is that one of the longest series that we've done in terms of years spanned within that movie universe? Feels like it. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know, how do you count Back to the Future? Uh, well, this is it, Back to the Future. 1885 to 2015. 2015. something, yeah, that's quite long. Oh. No, I mean, I, I don't know, it's a proper family saga, though. It's. Oh, it is, no, definitely. It's in the, in the old fashioned sense. Final thoughts, Becca? Uh, it has its good parts and it has its bad parts. Um, no, I, th- I think definitely, kind of reviewing it with you guys has helped me to appreciate certain scenes a bit more. Um, but like, if I was to rank this, rank the series, I would literally go like part one, part two, part three in that order. Um, I, I, I still think like you know the, the Godfather, the first film, and definitely like they will cast a very long shadow within popular culture. And like there have been few, you know, lot, lots of imitators, but rarely has there been a film which kind of equals it. I mean, perhaps maybe Goodfellas, but I haven't seen something. You know, it's, it's certainly taken a long time for me to see something of that similar stature um, within cinema. Mm, not the kind of declining quality, but in terms of like casting choices, like we didn't speak about George Hamilton. That was a bit random. Um, yeah, like why would he ever talk why, about why George you, Hamilton? You, know. you didn't need the character. I no, mean, there's a bit of there's a bit there's literally a bit of um, there's a bit of um, he's there to receive exposition in the. He is basically. Well, Tom Hagen has died at some point, and his eldest son has become, like, a priest. That's where I got a little bit confused between him and Anthony. Mm. Um, And he's telling George Hamilton's character about it. And he does stand up at one point where there's a complaint about the Immobilari deal and answer it. But apart from that, it's almost the need to have a conciliary-type figure there. But... He, he doesn't actually do any heavy lifting whatsoever. None. Realistically, like, Michael, if Tom Hagen um, died, then Michael would have a replacement. Yes, but, he would, but what but I'm saying is... the point is, yeah, if, he wouldn't be a prominent character. If this character, had been Tom so... Hagen, he would have been given a bit more to do. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the rewrite to change it has minimised the character. I don't think you get... I don't think you give this to Robert Duvall as a part. It's too, it's too little... Mm. He's yeah, a supporting it... character, but it's, he's given a bit more meat than this usually. Yeah. 
there would have been more of it if it hence, was... Hence, when you talk about the casting, I don't really have a... The only problem I've got with George Hamilton's casting is, A, it isn't Robert Duval, and B, sort of conceptual, in that, conceptually, if you're trying to sort of produce the next in a series that has started with two masterpieces, George Hamilton sends the wrong message. It sends the wrong message. Let's get that guy who was in an episode of Love Boat or something. <laughs> um, I don't know if he was, but I'm sure if you look back, he was Some in random shit like that. Um, he's fine. For the scenes he's in, he's absolutely fine. I yeah, don't, I don't I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad performance. But why would you cast George Hamilton? It's, it's a bit I, random. You know, and, and during his, his commentary, he's quite co- complimentary about his own daughter as well, how there's a rawness and realness to her because she's not an actress, but... I don't know. Oh, definitely it was. I, yeah, I kind of my, my earlier comment about you know admiring him was as a director of that. I mean, you know, which was very new, a very little screen experience, obviously apart from the baby from the first film. Um, but yeah, there, there's certainly that that rawness to her, um, and that adds like a, a layer of depth and believability to to her performance. Um, but yeah, I think I think it, it took me a little bit a little bit longer um, to come around to this film, definitely. Um, there's some you know, really interesting scenes to it, um, but for me it's kind of there's stuff that maybe like it does kind of take a while to get going, and there's a lot of like business speak. Um, but it's really interesting if you want to get into the minutiae between like how the mafia, you know, there's a history, how it was created, and how how it's intertwined with um, with the Pope. Um, that's very interesting, very fascinating. There's a lot to learn in this film, um, but it certainly didn't interest me at this time. Um, maybe yeah, later I was on. Gonna, I was going to say I'm going to totally disagree. I don't think any of it's interesting at all. I think well, it's, 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 it's presented, and I'm sure in, in itself, extrapolated like from the world of film, it must be quite interesting. But this film doesn't really make it interesting, and, and up until that point, there's not very much that, that, that grabs to me, unfortunately. But so I mean, all, all the main, all the principal players are, are present and correct. Uh, performance is great. I'll say Al Pacino, famed for overacting later on in his career, not so much of it here. Um, there are a couple of shouty moments, as, as I noticed. Um, but after that, he's fine. It's you know, it's convincing. It's believable. Um, it's very heart heartfelt, very touching. You know, as, as you say, that's where the kind of as Chris said earlier, that's where the line comes from. You know, I keep trying to get out, but I keep getting pulled back in. Um, and that's like his his arc. You know, as Godfather and trying to get out of it, for example, from the first film. Yeah, you know, I can't really add more, much. Yeah, can't add much more to that, unfortunately. Uh, I rather enjoyed my time with it. As I said, Bob, my opinion about it isn't to be changed that much. I do agree with Dave that it is nowhere near as bad as it representation. I think people could be over over dramatic about these sort of things. Either 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 it's the best thing ever or it's the worst thing ever. Well, even allowing for overstatement we're, we're used to now. This yeah. is a ridiculously over-the-top example. Definitely. Um, but, you know, you know, it is... It isn't as good as, uh, say, the the other two films, um, but it's n- it's not an insult either. I mean, it, it it's actually perfectly fine. It's very watchable. Um, it has it has uh, nice moments. It has a nice reflective quality to the character of Michael, and it's and and I think that that's where it shines. Uh, you know, I I think where where it doesn't shine, as I said before, is just how just generic it can be but other than that there are scenes there are moments uh, there are touches which uh, are definitely worth your time in so yeah um, yeah I'm absolutely enjoyed enjoyed 
uh, had a better viewing wave than I thought I would with this. So uh, yeah, um, maybe maybe as that maybe looks like the uh, uh, you, you know yeah low expectations and it's like oh well, I'm pleasantly surprised by that. But yeah, no, I had to solid watch of it. I think it's just a, a, a bizarre world we live in now. Like, but we were in this. Things haven't just. It isn't. It reminds you. It isn't just the internet that's done this. You know, the way people have banged on about The Last Jedi in the last six months is just, like, so over the top. It's just a fucking film. And it's nowhere near as bad as you're going on about. Um, we were like we were in this world 30 years ago as well. This film is not Highlander 2. It just isn't. I think if it's got a problem, it's that it doesn't need to exist. It's that no film needs to exist. But there is a... St- you know, the first two films have a series of events that drive us through it, particularly the first one, and character work is like informed by those events. And you see characters changing in response to things. But you could take you could strip out a lot of the character work and you'd still have a fascinating story. Wouldn't be as good a film, but it would still have a lot of good stuff in it. With this particular film the the story is just a load of stuff that happens to allow Coppola to make the character's story, the character beats and thematic points he wants to make. He wants to make some points about Michael as an older man waning in health and power. He wants to make some points about the transfer of power. He wants to make some points about looking back on your life and um, regret that comes with that. And all of those things require a plot. They require something to drive us through the two or three hours where we're going to learn all of this. And in comes the Immobilari stuff, which I just don't care. I mean, as a point, the fact that it's the church, and you think, well, that in itself leads you to, well, how clean is the church? You know, this sort of servant of God, but there's some dirty money there and stuff. That's kind of interesting conceptually. The idea that you use the church as your grab for legitimacy, uh, but you do it by effectively bribing a load of people, all of that in itself is fairly interesting. But every time they start talking about Immobilari, I'm not that interested. I'm interested in Michael and his family. And I think I've, I'm sounding like a broken record because I've been saying that for the last two weeks. That That's what I'm interested in. Michael's the through line through this story. The fact I'm still interested tells me that the character is more consistent with perhaps his earlier incarnations than maybe I thought. It's a good solid watch. We don't need it. Coppola's about right. This is an epilogue. But as it goes, it's not a bad epilogue. And despite the fact that it's even divorced from the rest of the film, Michael falling out of his chair as an old man on a Sicilian estate um, in the you know the very country that sort of gave birth to this family does give it a degree of closure. So I'm, I'm, for everything, I'm glad it's here. And then that's it. So we have Chris's Freezy Corner. But I feel like we're missing something. I think we're missing some questions. I don't know why I feel that. I feel a bit bad. Um, I went to do some <laughs> quiz questions. I got the answers from last week. But um, I just got a shout out to Fumba Baker. So, Brian, thank you for answering oh, yeah. our quiz questions. Yeah. Okay, Good scrub job. that then. What we're anyway. missing is some quiz answers, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I didn't do any for part three because there is no part four. No. And obviously... We could in, make one. In the in-between from here and Marvel, we are doing an episode to be announced shortly. 
so I haven't done I've done neither fun facts nor stupid what were the quiz. To, what were the answers to um, last week's? So last week I have. So yeah, my quiz questions last week. Um, early on in the film, we learned that we two had an older brother who was murdered, and what was his name? Paolo. Uh, question number two: What was Vito Corleone's real name? It was Andalini. Okay. Corleone being the town of his birth. Question number three: We see Robert De Niro as Vito. What year is it in the film? It was 1917. Question number four: Commander asked Vito to hide a package for him. What's in it? It's guns. Um, and question number five: um, Who does Michael have killed at the end of part two? And that's just Alfredo. Hmm. But yeah, I, I went to do a quiz for this week and I thought, oh, a bit redundant. <laughs> so, yeah. And the answer, f- five answers of who cares. Five answers not... of Paul Fredo. That's the problem. We, we're going through the film fairly um, forensically tonight and consequently, with it, the backlash against it, I'm defending it. And, and I don't think it's a particularly bad film, but I've, I've no great need to watch it very often, certainly. I was going to say, it's, it's, not, so, it's not certainly up there with like... Fregelfinger.org.ハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハハ
Because I like to spice things up. Yeah, those last four do cover about three years. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I said on an earlier episode, if Chris presented This Is Your Life, I'd have 57 red books. (laughs) Because it'd be Dave again. (laughs) You can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. And you can find us at Expect Us Talk on Twitter. And you can also find us on Facebook. You just type in in the search bar, do you expect us to talk? Type in the same, do you expect us to talk on YouTube? And you can find our reviews there. Um, and also iTunes and Stitcher. But, um, I'd recommend for iTunes, some of our earlier episodes are fast disappearing. So check us out on YouTube or also at Chris's website, cinematronics.co.uk. If you like, you can drop us an email. Expect, no, expect us to talk at gmail.com. I think that's it. Mm. Do you know what we're missing? Do you know what this show has really missed in the last few months? I think we've had far too little in the way of scrumptrelescent beard action. (laughs) I think we should get Charlie back. Yes, we are missing Charlie. He's the fifth Beatle or the third, uh, the fourth New Expectors Talker. Um, (laughs) What else? He's the fifth Beatle. No. He's the fifth Beatle or that fourth that doesn't exist. No, no. Oh, that third person that we don't have. Who is that? Um, well, how many people? How many members are in Python? He's the missing Python. All right. Well, uh, anyway. I, so anyway. I, that'll need a bit of an edit. Which means Becca. <laughs> Do you expect to talk? We'll return with our commentary featuring Charlie on Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back.